we've been, we've been uh, going through, we kind of did a series with some God-ordained interruptions over the last month or so or six weeks of, we've been preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. If you've been here, you know we've gone through uh, seven of the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And uh, like last week, Tommy was here and it was, it was a very God-ordained interruption. We were, we were glad for that. But we're going to finish it up today. And uh, the last two that Paul mentions in, in Galatians are gentleness and self-control. And I'm going I'm to touch on those, but I'm, I'm going to spend the majority of my time today uh, in, a, in another passage talking to you about what I believe the Lord gives us tools to where we can have this fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives. I really want to focus on that a little more because I believe that's where the Lord's leading me. But I do want to start by, by sharing with you about the, the, the two fruit that are left, which is gentleness and self-control. And I've entitled the sermon, Fruit That Remains. Because God doesn't want us just to have fruit for a, 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 a short season. He wants, us, he wants it to remain in our lives. Amen? And that's his heart for us. And so I'm going to be talking about that. And I'm going to jump right in and start with gentleness. Because gentleness is the, uh, the eighth characteristic manifestation of the Holy Spirit that, that Paul talks about here. And, you know, gentleness for, for us is it's easier for some than others. Can I get an amen? Some of us are just naturally gentle and easygoing. And, and you know, those of us that aren't like that, we don't really like you because you don't have to work at it. Um, I'm just kidding. We do like you. But, uh, you know, I have a little bit of Yankee in me. I'm from up north. And, you know, it, it took me about five minutes of living in Georgia to realize that uh, some people saw me as harsh usually because of my sense of humor. You know, we always joke that the, the sixth love language up north is uh, sarcasm. And if you're, if you're actually nice to somebody up there, you're, you probably don't like them. Uh, it's, it's really weird. And I had a culture shock when I came down here, and I remember making quite a few people cry. In fact, I made my mother-in-law cry the first time I ever met her. And uh, something that we joke about now, she loves me now, but she wasn't real fond of me that first time. Um, and so uh, gentleness is something that for some of us, we really have to learn it. We really have to work at it. And uh, Paul talks about it in Philippians as well, giving us the encouragement to, to be gentle. And in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Exclamation point. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So Paul's commission to us is to be gentle. Let our gentleness be evident to all. Now, the reason he wants us to, to exude gentleness to everybody is because gentleness is one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I believe draws people to Jesus. When they see gentleness in Christians, it causes people to take notice and say, okay, there's something different about that person. Especially if it's a situation where the normal person would not be gentle, would, would lash out in, in harshness or or judgment or whatever, but when a, when a person shows gentleness in their life and in a situation where it wouldn't normally be that way, it causes the world to take notice. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest benefits of the fruit of the Spirit in our life, and it's one of the biggest reasons God wants to give it to us is so that it will draw people to him. Because when people, because we are the representation of Jesus, we are his ambassadors on this earth. Whether you like it or not, if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador of Jesus, and people are looking at you, and they're seeing the kind of Jesus that they think you have in you is the one that they, that they see. And so if it's not being resembled in us, then it's more detrimental than not. And so it's important to God that we do exude gentleness in our life. And, you know, one of the, one of the best examples I saw of this recently was um, a guy named uh, Pastor Davey Blackburn. He's a pastor in Indiana. You guys may know the story. Um, I think it was late last year. It was on the news. He, uh, uh, he went to work out one morning like six o'clock in the morning, left the house, went to work out. When he came back, his wife had been murdered. And it turned out that uh, some guys were going through the neighborhood just robbing houses. 
They happened to go into his house while he was working out, went in, his wife and his 15-month-old child were there. She was six weeks pregnant, or 12 weeks pregnant, excuse me. And they went in and they raped his wife and killed her and didn't touch the baby, but they killed his wife. And so obviously the, the, the baby that she was pregnant with had died too. And uh, one of the most horrific things I've ever seen, in fact, for, for a good little bit, they just assumed that the, the husband had something to do with it because they said, there's just no way that was just too random for somebody to do that. Well, when they researched it and, and investigated, they realized it was just a random thing. And he was just a victim of some punks just wanting to rob people and horrible, horrible situation. But what affected me is when I saw him get interviewed on the news. Uh, it hadn't happened. I don't even think it was a week old and he was interviewed on the news. And what I saw from him was this gentleness that I, that I could not believe. It was, it, was, it was so hard to even comprehend uh, the words he was saying and the attitude that he had. You know, you could tell he was hurt and, uh, and devastated and his life came crashing down on him. But he talked about forgiving these guys that did this. He talked about um, how wonderful his, of a person his wife was. When, no one would have blamed him if he would have said, I want these guys to get the electric chair. I want them to suffer like they made my wife suffer. You know, all, he could have said all kinds of things and we would have kind of given him a free pass, especially for a little while. He didn't do it. He had this gentleness that I could not believe even for me and I'm a Christian. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that his reaction to the situation has drawn people to Jesus. I know it has. I, I don't have any evidence. I can't say that I've seen people get saved because of it. But I promise you, that's the kind of thing that when it's, the Holy Spirit is manifesting in our lives, we see that kind of thing come out of us and it draws people to Christ. Because he had nothing to gain by being gentle other than to say that this is Jesus in me. And I have no choice but to forgive these guys. And that's the kind of thing that God wants to do in all of us and because it will draw people to him. And uh, Proverbs 15 verse 1 it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, if you're married, you know exactly what that verse means. Amen? Uh, there have been plenty of times when Joy and I have been having discussions that uh, I, I, we came to a crossroads and I saw, okay, I can say this or I can say this. If I say this, it's not going to go well. If I say this, we'll probably be done with this in 30 seconds. And we've all encountered that. So we know that that is the case. The gentleness, even when we don't feel like being gentle, a gentleness in, a, in situations will turn away wrath, not just in your marriage, but in, in every aspect of life. You know? And some of us really need to learn that, especially when we're on social media and commenting on Facebook. You know, a gentle word will turn away wrath. And just say that to yourself before you type something into somebody's post and hit send. Okay? The, the people, the world needs to see Christians as being gentle, even on Facebook and even in comment sections and articles. I, I got to where I don't even read comments anymore because people just come unglued and they lose all sense of any dignity or anything that's good or right in this world, right? Now, there are a couple exceptions that I would mention. You know, gentleness is, is good. We all know that we should, we should be gentle, right? But um, I just, I thought of a couple things that I thought, well, you know, we, there's, there's times where we don't have to be doormats, right? That's not what gentleness is. It's not, gentleness is not a sign of weakness. In fact, sometimes it's a sign of strength when we're gentle, when we don't want to be. But you know, there's times that gentleness is, you can check gentleness at the door. If, if someone's breaking into your home with the, with the intent to hurt your family, there, I, nobody wants you to be gentle. You know, you want to take care of business. You know, if, if you're on a football team, if you're on a defense on a football team, you don't need to be gentle on the football field. You know, there, there are certain things, certain times in life where gentleness isn't necessarily what we need to exude, but we're talking about in the, in the everyday normal life and situations and uh, coming against the desire in the flesh to react harshly to things. 
but to actually be gentle. And you could see, if we will do that, we'll see the fruit in our lives and we'll see it also in other people because they'll see it in us. And I think one of the keys to me to being gentle in all situations when we interact with people is to understand that our, our battle is not against the flesh and blood. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 6, the battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the powers, the principalities of darkness. Basically, to sum it up, our battle is not against people, it's against the devil. So we have to remember that no matter what's going on, we have to remember that our battle is not against this person over here that's upsetting me and treating me the way they're treating me. It's, that's not my battle. My battle is in the heavenly realms. I can still be gentle to this person here because that's what God would want. And I can trust him in that. So let's, let's let the world see our gentleness. Let's let the devil see our, our harshness, right? Let's give the devil what he deserves, but let's be gentle to the world. Amen? So the next one then is self-control. Now, this is, uh, this is not always a fun subject to talk about because, um, because we can feel like a hypocrite if we tell people to be self-controlled because for every single one of us, there's something in our life that if, if we allow it, it can, it can cause us to lose our self-control. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's your thought life. Maybe you have trouble, you know, taking your thoughts captive, what Paul talks about, taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Maybe your thought life is something that you really struggle with having self-control, whether it's in the area of fear or anxiety or feeling uh, like you're less than everybody else, you know, your insecurities, or, or maybe it's lust or something like that. But the thought life is where we really can have a hard time with self-control sometimes. Um, but there's other manifestations of it too. You know, if you don't, maybe you have trouble having self-control with your eating um, or, or uh, maybe you have an addiction and you have a hard time with self-control in, in areas like that. But what, what I want to encourage you with today with self-control is that the, self-control is not a fruit of determination. It's a fruit of the spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you have the ability to be, have that manifested in your life. Okay, that God's saying, he's saying be self-controlled, but he's saying, but I'm gonna help you be self-controlled because I'm gonna give you my spirit. And I'm gonna talk to you in a minute about how, how, we, can, how we can manifest that in our lives and how we can harness that and see that come to, to become fruit in our lives and not become uh, something that's detrimental for us. Uh, what I, the only thing I wanna say about self-control is that you know, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he said, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if you notice in that verse, Peter says, he starts off by saying, be self-controlled and alert. And then he follows it up with the reason why. Because the enemy is looking, for, looking around for you to see who you can devour. And the, the takeaway from this verse is that the enemy will always look to exploit the areas in your life where you struggle with self-control. That's where he's going to come at you. You know, I, I said in the first service, I, I've, never been, I've never really been into alcohol. I never got drunk. I, I've never been an alcoholic. There may be some of you in here that have struggled with that. I've never struggled with that. I could go sit in a bar all day long and never struggle with wanting to take, a, take six beers and slam them. It's not a struggle for me. So the enemy does not prowl around me looking to try to put beer in front of me or wine or liquor or whatever because it won't do any good because it's not a struggle of mine. I don't struggle with self-control in that area. So he's not going to do that. What he's going to do is he's going he's to, he knows what your weaknesses are too because he's, he's got his own little army that's listening into the things you say and watching the things you do. So he's going to look for the areas where you are struggling with self-control and that's where he's going to pounce on you. And that's where he's going to bring temptation into your life and cause you to fall because his desire is to keep you down and cause you to be distracted and consumed with the areas in your life that you struggle rather than to walk in victory. So Peter's telling us, be self-controlled and stay alert 
And understand that the enemy knows your weaknesses just as much as you do, and he's going to try to exploit them. But again, Paul's not just saying, okay, well, we need to be, you need to have self-control. It's not just some command, like you just need to grit your teeth and do it. He's saying, I want, I give you, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to be able to do that. Amen? And so what I want to do now is I want to spend the rest of the time that I have with you to talk to you about what I believe is the tools that God has given us to be able to see this fruit in our life. How many of you know that just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that you all of a sudden get fruit in your life from the Holy Spirit? Amen? Uh, if we did, it'd be wonderful. We'd all be perfect. We wouldn't, even, we wouldn't even have to have church. We could just walk around and talk about how great we are, right? But unfortunately, that doesn't work that way. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is something that, that takes time and it takes effort on our part. It is from the Holy Spirit, but there's, there's things that we have to do that, that we have to set ourselves up to see it manifested in our life. I mean, I know for me personally, you know, there's, there's times I could definitely use some more fruit. You know, there's, there's days I feel like I'm really, like I'm, I'm on a mountaintop with God and everything's great and things are easy. And then th- that, f- that five minutes goes away and then the rest of the day, I feel like I could really use some fruit. You know, I could use a, a nice bushel of Georgia peaches, amen? And I know South Carolina has more peaches than Georgia, but we have the peach on our license plate, so we still win. Right, George? I like to give my South Carolina friends a hard time. So there's a, there's a verse I want to take you to where Jesus talks about fruit, uh, similar to what Paul is talking about with the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I'm going I'm to read, a, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but it's, before you put it up there, it's, it's John 15, and it's where Jesus talks about him being the vine and us being the branches. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably read this passage more than once. It, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage of an illustration that Jesus gives about the relationship with us, between us and him and what it takes to see fruit in our life. And, uh, you know, if you were here Wednesday night, we had, a, we had our first summer nights connection this past Wednesday night. Um, you know, for the summer, we take, we take the summer off for our connect groups just to give everybody a break. But uh, rather than just be gone the whole summer, we've been, we're having a, a night of community here a few times this summer just to get together and have some worship. And, and uh, Joy and I did a little devotional time. And we, we actually did it on John 15. And uh, after that night, I, I just felt like the Lord was telling me that, that that same message, that's for the church, that we need to, I need to bring that today. So if you were here Wednesday, you're going to get a little bit of a review, but um, obviously the Lord thinks you need it because he told me to say it today. So, uh, so you must not got it Wednesday night, right? I'm just kidding. It was, everybody there was wonderful and loved it. So uh, I'm going to read the passage out of John 15, verses 1 through 8. And this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. There's the key to bearing fruit. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now, this is such a wonderful analogy where Jesus is basically saying, I don't know a lot about grapevines, but I, I understand the concept that they're, you know, in a, in a grapevine, the, the vine is the, 
the main trunk of the, of the, the whole thing. It's, it's similar to a tree, like the trunk of a tree. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The branches all come off of this main vine. And what he's basically saying is you have to stay. He says, remain in me and you will, see, and you will bear fruit in your life. Uh, another translation says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. Uh, connect, stay connected to me. What this is referencing, what this, this is, uh, is insinuating is that the way to have fruit in our lives, the way to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifested and active in our lives is to stay intimately connected to Jesus. Now, that's a very simple concept. None of you are be, probably being blown away by the idea that, oh, Jesus wants us to be intimate with him and that we'll see fruit in our lives. But it, it may be, the, the concept may be simple, but actually f- fulfilling it or living it out is not always simple because we take a lot of things for granted as Christians, right? Uh, we just know that, you know, Jesus is always going to be there for us. He, he's going to love us. His love will never change. So we, we tend to take things for granted and we don't necessarily pursue that relationship like we could. Because, we, because there's a lack of understanding of how much we need the vine. You know, the branch, in that, in that setting, a branch knows it needs the vine. You know, a branch gets disconnected, or even let's look at a tree trunk. If a branch gets chopped off a tree trunk, it's over. The branch is done. There's no putting it back in. There's no reconnecting it. The branch understands that the situation is dire, that it's urgent, or that there's an urgency in a, in a it's, it's, it's very... <laughs> plain and simple, that it has to stay completely connected or it'll be in trouble. But we, as, as people, we, we miss that a lot of times. We don't necessarily see our need as much as we, as we could. And, uh, but what Jesus is saying here is that if you will abide in me, if you will pursue me, if you will remain close to me and have that intimate relationship with me and seek that relationship with me above all else, you will, be, you will see the fruit of my spirit manifesting in your life. And he goes into detail about, about the, what, what we'll see in our lives. And, you know, the, the best analogy that I can think of that, that kind of relates to, to what Jesus is saying here is the analogy of marriage. If you're married, you know, you, you stood before, you stood at an altar one day before a preacher and, and took your vows and you got married and it was a beautiful day and everything was great. And you thought, oh, we know each other, we know each other so well and we're so in love and everything's great. And... Uh, and then the years go by and you look back at that day. I was saying the first service, Joy and I have been married 15 years. And when we think back about our wedding day now, we actually laugh because I think, man, I don't even know if we knew each other then. Because, we, because our, our relationship has grown so much from that day to today that it, it felt like we almost like, man, I don't even know that was freaky that we even married each other because it, I feel like we didn't know each other. You know? And today, after the time and the, the effort we put into our marriage, I mean, I know... We know what each other's thinking. I know by how she, how she, her eyebrow moves if she's okay with what I just said. You know, that's all I need to see. If the, I don't, he shouldn't have to talk. I can see her eyebrow and go, oh shoot, I'm in trouble. That's how well we know each other. And you know, one of the one of the sweetest things about our marriage that uh, um, really annoys our kids, but we don't care, is that when we get home in the afternoon, the first thing we do most days. We will go in our breakfast room and sit on the couch and we just have FaceTime. For 30 minutes to an hour, we just sit down and talk. Now, I know for some of you men, you're going, oh no, I can't do that. Um, I, I think I'm a little bit more wired like a, uh, the other sex on that because I really enjoy it. I like sharing my feelings and talking about my heart. and um, So guilty as charged, I guess. But we really enjoy it. And those are the times in our marriage that I can look back and say, that's when we've really grown together. We've grown in intimacy more during those times than any other time in our marriage. 
you know, and our kids will come in, they'll want to talk, and we just kick them out, and, and we're very clear, like, this is mom and dad time, go play on the roof or something, just go away, because this is our time, you know, and we're very, we protect it, we protect that time very diligently, and so, I, and I just think if, if we were to get married, and all we did was maybe come together once a week for an hour and talk about the good principles in marriage, and just discuss it a little bit, but never really put any effort in or spend any time together, after 15 years, our marriage would be very anemic. We wouldn't know each other very well at all. We'd still be married as long as, you know, we have the document that says we are, but there wouldn't be much of a relationship there and there wouldn't be much fruit in our marriage. And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. If the day we get saved, you know, we're excited. You, you just, you know, if you understood what happened when you got saved, there's an excitement there. But if we don't invest in that relationship as we move along in our life, 15 years later, you could be in the same place you were the day you got saved or even worse off. And to think that, that, if I was to tell you, you know, you don't have to put any work into your marriage and you could just do your own thing and, and uh, you know, chat every once in a while and everything will be okay, you would laugh at me. But we do it in our relationship with the Lord all the time. I, I mean, I'm, and I'm not pointing fingers. I, I'm guilty of it. I, I go through seasons where I, I've never actually said this out loud to Jesus, but I know I've said it in my heart where, Lord, I'm just too busy for you right now. You know, just chill out. I'll be back in a week or two. And it's embarrassing to even say that because I've I've been saved long enough to know the, the importance of really pursuing him and being intimate with him. But there's just so many things in this world that pull at us that, that try to keep us away from really spending that face time with him and really knowing him and coming to him, not with an agenda, not with a, a structured prayer time of saying, okay, here's my prayer list that I got to get through today to make sure he hears me, but just to come to him with no agenda other than to say, Jesus, I just want to know you. I want to understand that relationship between a branch and a vine to where I need you for my very life to where if I'm not connected to you, that I'm going to wither up and die. And we need that revelation from God, because that's not something, I can't stand up here and convince you of it. It's something God has to reveal to you, because he did it to me. I read this verse one day, and I realized that what he wants from me is just to abide, and it actually made me mad, because I struggled with a religious spirit for a while when I was in my younger Christian years. I really had a religious spirit. It was all about, you know, being the best I could be, and being a better Christian than you, and, and doing all the right things, and judging everybody that didn't do it the way I did. And so to learn that all he wants for me to do is abide in him, it actually made me mad because I would rather work for him. It was easier. You know, we see in Luke 10 uh, where Mar uh, Martha invites Jesus to her house and Jesus goes over to Martha and Mary's house and, you know, Martha's running around making preparations and she's uh, probably getting ready to cook a meal for him. You know, she's working hard for Jesus. She wants to impress him. And her sister Mary is just sitting there at Jesus' feet. And Martha finally gets upset and says, and she actually rebukes Jesus. Now, how funny is that? Uh, she says, Jesus, are you going to make her help me? Like, she's just sitting there at your feet. Here I am working, doing all this stuff for you. And she's just sitting there doing nothing. And Jesus, he epitomizes his heart for each and every one of us by what he says after that. He says, Martha, you are worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what is best and it will not be taken from her. Man, that, that'll, that'll rock your world if that sinks in. He does not care near as much about what you do for him as he does just you sitting at his feet and getting to know him. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. And you know, it's like we know it. If you're saved, you know that, but it's really hard for that for, for, to get from our brain to our heart and to really be able to rest in that. Because, you know, people that really do get this and really understand abiding, it, it can kind of be annoying if you're not at that place, you know? Like you feel like you want to be Martha. Like, come on, Jesus, make her do something. You know, all she does is, talk to you and rejoice and praise you and talk about how great you are. I'm the one doing all the work. But that's what, that's what Jesus wants. 
He wants Marys. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need us to be Marthas. He wants us to be Marys. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to go through uh, just a, a few things that I think uh, we can expect when we get connected to God that, uh, that we'll, we'll see in our life. Uh, let's see. The first one is that we have to recognize that we need to stay connected to him. Verse 5 in that passage, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? Do we believe that apart from Jesus, being intimately connected with him, do we believe that we can do nothing? See, we, in, this, in this day and age we live in now with so many things at our fingertips and so many conveniences, it is very difficult to convince some people that apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. Because we really don't necessarily believe that. I mean, I, mean I, I believe it when I'm really being spiritual. But if I'm just busy and going about my day and I'm overwhelmed, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't even cross my mind to pray and ask the Lord to help me. You know, until much later and I think, man, why didn't I pray? I think God probably would help me through that. You know, but we can so easily get caught up in what we're doing. And we, we have so many conveniences that it's so easy to forget uh, that apart from him, we really can do nothing. And that, that's the revelation that I want to have because, you know, Paul had this revelation. And I want to share it real quick in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 8. This was Paul after he did, he'd done so much ministry, had done so many things for the Lord. And this is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul got it. That, I want to believe that verse in my own heart. I want to believe that everything else in my life compared to knowing Jesus is garbage. He's not saying that things, everything is garbage. He's saying if you compare it to just having an intimate relationship with Jesus, it's nothing. I mean, we all, we have to go to work. We have to do the things. We have to have a house and a car. And there's things, we have to do all those things. We're not, he's not saying it's all garbage. You shouldn't want any of it because we'd all be living in a field somewhere, not knowing how we're going to get our next meal. It's not about neglecting the duties of the day. But what it is, is he's saying all I want to do is know Jesus. I want to know him more. Everything else is secondary to me. And that, this is the Apostle Paul saying it. What a wonderful revelation he got to know that. And, and that word know Christ in, in that phrase, the word know is not like somebody like this. Yeah, I know this guy. You know, we're friends on Facebook. It's not that kind of know. It's, it's the same word that is used in, the, in Genesis back where it talks about Adam knowing Eve and they conceived so it's a very intimate kind of knowing. And that's what Paul wants with Jesus, and that's what I want. And I would pray that that would be all of our prayer, that we would just want to know Jesus that way that Paul talks about it there. Uh, the next thing is that pruning is inevitable. If you're going to be intimate and you're going to be abiding in Christ. In verse 2 in that passage, it says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, how many are excited about being pruned? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I'd get a big cheer for that one. Uh, that, that, that doesn't have a really great connotation. You know, pruning is, not, is, is uncomfortable, to say the least. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter remains, if a grapevine is never pruned, it will eventually stop bearing fruit. And we are the same way as believers. If we are never pruned, you know, the, the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. And we, we don't need to despise the discipline of God. But what we do have to do is we have to understand if what we're going through, you know, a lot of us are going through stuff. Probably almost all of us are going through something right now that we would just as soon not be part of our life. 
But what you have to do is to, is to discern if it's pruning or if it's just a result of you maybe making bad decisions or maybe it's just stuff going on. You know, if, if you have overslept and been late for work 14 out of the last 20 days and you lost your job, you're not being pruned. You're lazy. You're not lazy. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, if, you're, if your marriage is in turmoil and because you just got caught cheating on your wife, you're not being pruned. Okay? Those are, there's a, there's a, sometimes it's really obvious whether or not you're being pruned. But there may be something going on in your life right now where you're having turmoil at work and you're doing everything right. You may be being pruned. You know, this may be, and I know this is hard for some of us to hear, but there's times that bad things happen in our life that God actually brings those things to us. We think they're bad. They're not necessarily bad. What it is, is it's a pruning in our life. You know, maybe if you're too comfortable in your job and God's got a plan for you and wants you to move on to something different, but you're so, you're so worried about being secure and getting that paycheck every Friday, you're not going to move unless God does something to stir up the pot a little bit and get you to move out. Sometimes he'll prune us in those ways where we think, oh, no, I have turmoil at work. And you want to just pray that you get a new boss when God's really saying, no, what I want you to do is move. Or vice versa. You know, you may want to move and God's saying, no, I want you to stay. We, but you, you, it's so hard to know the will of God in such, so many situations in our life if we're not intimate with him. If we don't know him. We can't just rely on our own thoughts and what we think we need to pray for to see God move in our life. Sometimes it's obvious. There's no question. Sometimes it's very clear that, that we know exactly how we need to pray. But there are lots and lots of situations in our life where we don't necessarily know how to pray. And it may just be about God pruning us. I, I, I shared this story about seven, eight years ago. There was a, a guy, a friend of mine, that was in some really bad financial trouble, and he needed some help. And he called me and asked if he could borrow some money. And it was a lot of money for me, uh, a significant amount, not an amount that I could just give him and not worry about it. And uh, I talked to Joy, and we both decided, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it. And it became evident after about six months that he was not going to be able to pay this money back. He, it didn't, it, he didn't really get it. He just made a lot of bad decisions. He's, and um, and I was, uh, so when I would pray, my prayers kind of went like this. Oh, God, bless him so that he could pay me back. That, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat it. That was my prayer. And you guys know that would be your prayer too. <laughs> we want our money back, right? And, uh, but after, after a while and, and really seeking the heart of God, in fact, my wife, God love her, helped me to see that, you know, maybe I'm not praying right. And so I uh, went back to the Lord and was, was really seeking him in this and really came without an agenda and saying, God, what do you want? And it became clear, I mean, almost immediately when I really opened my heart to the situation to be willing to hear what he wants, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to forgive the debt. And uh, I argued with him. And I said, no, no, God, you don't understand how much it is. And uh, he said, yes, I do. And I want you to forgive the debt. So I talked to Joy and she, again, she was like, well, good. It's about time you figured it out. And uh, so I called the guy and I told him, I said, I just want you to know you don't have to pay me back. And he started sobbing on the phone. And this guy is like the quintessential tough guy, tattoos, works out, he's huge, you know, would never show any emotion in a million years, starts bawling like a baby over the phone. And he had really been struggling in his faith. I knew he was a Christian, but he'd been on the fence for a long time. He, he really wanted to do right, but he just would have a hard time really trusting God. And he'd, he'd kind of fall off the wagon and go drinking and, and doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And when I forgave this debt, he told, within, I think within a week, he called me and he said, I just want you to know that what you did for me, he said, no one's ever done anything like that for me. And he said, if you can trust God like this, he said, I know that I can trust him too. And that was seven years ago, and that man is living hardcore for Jesus today. 
And it was because of the fact that now it had nothing to do with me. I wanted my money. Okay. This is not me tooting my horn. Believe me, I did not enjoy it at first, but I was obedient to God. And because of that, God was able to use that situation to further that guy and, and help him to really live his life for the Lord. And if it cost me this amount of money for somebody that was on the fence to really live for Jesus, uh, that's a small price to pay. But my flesh was saying, no, 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 this guy needs to pay me my money back. Bible says, pay your debts. You know, I could use scripture to say what I felt I wanted it to be like. But sometimes God prunes us and we don't necessarily know unless we're really seeking him and pursuing him. So the next thing, and I'm gonna move quickly, I only got a couple more, is uh, it takes effort on our part. Okay, I know for some of you, this is ruffling a little bit of feathers. We don't have to work for anything for God. You know, he did all of it for us. You're right, he did. He saved us, we're saved by grace. Amen, hallelujah. There's no bigger fan of grace than me. But I know that Jesus in this passage in John 15, he says the word if about five times. He says, if you remain in me, then this will happen. If you do this, you will bear fruit. Jesus says, there's conditions on us being able to bear fruit and really have a relationship with him. He's saying, you have to do this. You have to do some work. The vine's not standing there holding on to the branch with all its might. The branch is grafted in holding on to the vine. The branch needs the vine more than the vine needs the branch. If a branch falls off a vine, the vine's just gonna keep on trucking. But if the branch does fall off the vine, the the branch is in trouble. It's in a world of hurt. It's gonna get picked up and thrown into a fire. So, we have to have, put, there has to be some effort on our, on our part. There is no fast track to being intimate with God. There's no fast track. I, I know we're in the age of Google and Siri and, and you don't even have to push stuff on your phone anymore to text. You just tell it what to do and it does it for you. Everything's quick now. I want it right now. Uh, I'm sure we all know people in our life that if they text you, if you don't text them back within a few minutes, they get mad at you. And if God help you if you leave your phone at home one day, because you come back that afternoon, you got 47 text messages and 35 emails and instant messages. And you're, at the, in the morning, they start off with smiley faces. By the afternoon, you're getting those the red emojis with the red face. We're used to getting at what we want right away, aren't we? That's just the nature of our culture today. But you cannot bring that into your relationship with Jesus. That is not how it, the relationship, the, that intimate, deep abiding with Jesus is about putting in time and work. It, it just is. There's, I, uh, I, I try to come here to the church every morning. I try to get here um, early before most people are here. Um, Pastor Mo gets here, like, I don't think he ever goes home, so he's always here, but I try to get here before everybody else. And uh, I'll just come in here in the sanctuary. It's dark. I come in here, and this is time for me to just be with Jesus. And I love it. And I don't pray. I'm not praying for the church necessarily. I'm not praying for my ministry. I'm not praying for anything. I'm just saying, Jesus, this is me and you. I just want to meet with you this morning. And I want to hear your heart. And it is, it is precious to me. I guard it like nothing else. And, and I love to do it. But it's work on my part. You know, Jesus ain't just going to interrupt my busy schedule and say, hey, you need to spend time with me and pull me out and force me to sit and have FaceTime with him. It, it requires effort. You know, studying the word, getting in the word, but not reading the word to just get information, but reading the word to see Jesus' heart and to grow closer to your Savior. And that's what it's about for us. It takes effort. And then the next one is answered prayers in verse 7. If we are intimate with God, we can expect answered prayers. He says in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I know on, a, on the surface that looks like woohoo, 
spend time with Jesus and he'll do whatever you want. But that's not what he's saying here at all. Because what, what happens here is as we get closer to Jesus, an amazing thing happens when we get closer to God. We start to be more like him. We don't just want to be close to him just so we can tell everybody what we know about him. But we get close to him so that we can be like him. You know, they even say, like in marriage, you know, they say the longer you're married, the closer people get, they start to actually look like each other. If that is the case, I feel really sorry for joy. But, but in, in relationship with Jesus, the closer we get to him, the more we start to look like him. In fact, the last verse in that passage, it says that it's to my father's glory because you will show to be my disciples as we get close to him. And so as we get closer to him, we start to act like him. We start to think like him. And the amazing thing happens is our prayers change. All of a sudden, it's not about me getting what I want and doing this and fixing everything I need fixed. It's more about, okay, Jesus, what is your heart? Let me pray into what you want. Because you know what, church? When we pray the heart of God, when we, pray, when we find out what his heart is in a situation and we pray into what he wants in a situation, you get 100% prayers answered every single time. If you pray the will of God, you will see the answers to your prayers every time. And so when we get closer to him, we get our prayers answered according to this passage, but it's because we're going to be praying his will. We're going to be praying what he wants. We're going to be seeking his heart and his face. And so we'll see the answers to our prayers. So uh, when you read that, don't, don't think that, oh, good, I can, all I got to do is read my Bible for a little bit and, and uh, spend some time with Jesus and I can pray for a, a new Lexus and I'll get it. That's not what he's talking about here. And I know you guys know that, but I just want to make sure I put it out there too. And then lastly, a disconnect is uncomfortable. If you've been close to God and you've had that intimacy with him, you know that when you, when you lose that connection with him, it, it should make you uncomfortable. This is where the, the branch and the vine analogy uh, doesn't work as well because, you know, if a branch gets disconnected from a vine, it's, it's out of luck. But God is so gracious to us, we can disconnect from him constantly, and he's always there for us when we turn around and come back. The Bible says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you every time. You don't ever have to worry that, oh, I've used up all my, all my get out of jail free cards. Every time we turn back to God, he's always there waiting for us because that's who he is. And, but as we get closer to him, when we have those times where we're disconnected from him and we start to pull away, it should make us really uncomfortable. You know, I, I talk about coming to the church here in the mornings. Uh, so there are weeks where it just, the days are crazy or I sleep in too late or something happens and I, I'm not able to really come in and, and kind of do my thing that I like to do. And I notice it. And I don't feel convicted or guilty or condemned because, oh, I didn't spend time with Jesus today. He's, he's gonna be mad at me. He's not gonna answer my prayers. I'm probably gonna stub my toe when I walk around the corner. That's not the God we serve. But what happens is I miss him because I think, oh, I just miss that, that time where it's just me and him. Nothing else, no agenda, no, no ministry, no nothing. It's just me and him getting together and I'm hanging out with my savior and my best friend. And we start to miss that when we, when we have that connection with him. And, uh, you know, there's no, play, there's no time where you just all of a sudden arrive and you've got that intimate connection with God and you just go through that the rest of your life and it never becomes a struggle to have that connection pulled apart. There's always going to be things in our life that, that are pulling at us and causing us to want to, to go do other things or put, put that relationship on the back burner. And uh, let me tell you, ministry is one of the things that will cause that all the time. Pastors and staff, church staff people will say it all the time that it's so easy to replace that intimate relationship with Jesus by just doing ministry. You know, I'm just doing my thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. 
That's, that's ministry. That's got to bring drawing me closer to Jesus. Not really. Not if the only thing you're doing is preaching because you're, you're up here and it's your job. You know, ministry can get in the way of it. And we just need to be sensitive to that, to being disconnected from God. You know, I, I think about the internet, you know, one of the greatest inventions of the last hundred years is the internet. Amen. Thank you, Al Gore, right? Um, but, uh, you know, before we had internet, we didn't, we didn't know what we were missing. I'm old enough to remember the pre-internet days or before it was least made public, you know, available to the public. But now, God help us. If you go to work and your computer, there's no Wi-Fi. You know, Ruby Fife is our IT person here. If there's no Wi-Fi in this, back here in the offices in a weekday, her phone just explodes. It like literally blows up in her hand, I think, all the texts that she gets. I mean, we're like, you know, hey, the Wi-Fi's not working. We might as well go home. Let's all go golfing. We can't even do anything without internet anymore, you know? We notice that disconnect immediately now because we're used to it. And that's what my prayer is for us that with our relationship with Jesus, when we start to pull away and we're losing that intimacy with him, that we would notice it quickly and we would, we would turn around and, and make it a focus and, a, and a, a focal point of our lives again because it benefits us and causes us to be his disciples and it, it, it affects the world. And I think the church needs more. We need to focus more on our relationship with Jesus and less on uh, some of the ideological things that we focus so much of our energy on. Let's go after Jesus with all our heart, amen? amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and we're gonna pray real quick. I did go a little longer than I wanted, I apologize. When you go out, just get a pina colada and tell them I'll pay for it. Um, I do want to. I do want to ask anyone that wants to come up to pray. I would like to pray for you if if this hit home with anybody. Okay, just I'm not going to give a long spiel. I just want you to if if intimacy with Jesus is something you've been struggling with or you you just want more of it in your life. I want you to come up. Uh, I feel like the Lord has told me to to pray for those of you that need that today, because uh, because it's very real. None of us have arrived. None of us are at a place where we just, you know, we've, we've got it and now we just keep going and, and, uh, and just coasting the rest of our life. So go ahead and start coming up now. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna keep you guys. Go ahead and we're gonna pray. Steve's gonna play behind me. And let's just pray that God would give us that revelation that Paul had that everything else in life is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Amen.